Hello, and welcome to the Stanford University Press podcast. My name is Chris Gondek, and today I'm talking with Stephen M. Davidson, the author of Still Broken, Understanding the U.S. Healthcare System. Stephen Davidson is professor of strategy and policy at Boston University School of Management and former director of its graduate program in healthcare management. He's published five successful books, including Remaking Medicaid, Managed Care for the Public Good, and Building a Healthcare Organization, a Challenge for Physicians and Managers. He's a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post. Stephen Davidson, thanks so much for taking time to talk to the Stanford Press podcast today. It's my pleasure. You've been writing about healthcare for many years, and as you write in the acknowledgement section of this book, you've generally resisted taking policy positions. This book then presents a pretty major change for you. Why write this book now? Well, uh, the first thing to say is that I began to write the book. In fact, I finished the, the first draft and submitted it to the press just after President Obama was elected. The, the problems that we've been resisting dealing with uh, for all these decades are getting so serious that we really, in my view, really need to, um, to tackle them because uh, uh, the, the system, the healthcare system, the delivery system is eroding. It's deteriorating. And the reason it is is because of this crazy uh, health insurance system that we have. Uh, the second reason is a more personal one, and that is that, uh, you know, I've been in this field for, I don't know, more than 40 years. And as you might say, I'm closer to the end of my career than the beginning. And if I'm ever going to do something like this, uh, this is a good time to do it. So the book is divided into three parts. Uh, part one's an analysis of the problems within the U.S. healthcare system. Part two is your proposed solutions. And then your third part is really an analysis of the, analysis of the political system at play. I'd like to start with the first part. In the debate during this last year, which has been the least understood by the public? How much we spend on healthcare, what we get for the money we spend on healthcare, or the problems within the healthcare delivery system? Well, I'll answer that two ways. One is uh, just as you asked the question, I think it's the third part, the problems within the delivery system. But uh, the, larger, the larger question, I think, which is less understood by the public and, and from all appearances by some of the decision makers in Congress, too, is how much all the parts are, are uh, interlinked. Um, uh, and I think uh, the president is actually quite right in suggesting that, um, that we can't do parts of this um, and hope to really uh, to solve any problems. Uh, we can ease things uh, for a time, but uh, we, can't, we can't have any long-term effects unless we take all of these problems together. For example, if, uh, if a lot of people don't have health insurance, it doesn't mean that they don't use services. It means that they delay using services until they can no longer ignore them. Uh, and then they go to the most expensive place, you know, to get those services, which is our hospital emergency rooms. That shows that uh, that uh, the access problem, which uh, is another way to say the uh, the health insurance problem, the fact that we have so many uninsured, um, is uh, you know is a major cause of the expenditure problem. So how well does the current health care plan that the Obama administration is trying to get through the reconciliation process resolve these is access issues you've been talking about? It's a very big step in the right direction, but it doesn't solve the problems. If the goal is to solve the problems, uh, it doesn't do that. Um, and that relates to another 
set of issues that I wrote about in the book that we focus, and a lot of the discussion, even in the press, is about uh, the kinds of issues you just asked me about. Um, you know, how much we spend, uh, uh, how many people are insured, you know, what do we get for our money. These are sort of uh, the problems, in quotes, that need to be solved. Um, and we like to think that, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the tradition of American pragmatism, um, that we define the problem as accurately as we can and we find the optimal solution. Um, that's what, uh, you know, that's what, that's sort of the standard that we implicitly hold up to ourselves. The reality is that the story of healthcare reform, and in fact of any legislation, is really a political story. And so I think at some point the Obama administration must have made a calculation that in order to get something passed, they had to somehow neutralize the opposition of the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry both of which benefit considerably from the present system. And so they struck uh, some deals, and they got the support of these uh, industries, at least in the beginning. Um, and, uh, and part of the deal apparently was that, they, uh, was that the, the bill would take the form that it does, and that is essentially to rely on a competitive uh, insurance market to accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish of improving access to care, making care more affordable, and so forth. That's the decision, the direction that they moved, that they went in. And who's to say they were wrong to do that? Um, after all, they, you know, th this administration is only the second one, only the only one besides Lyndon Johnson that even got a bill to the floor of, a, of either house of the Congress, um, and. Both houses passed them. Now we're at the point where they're trying to uh, pass a common bill so that it can be sent to the president for signature. It basically it will increase the number of people who have insurance by a lot. You know, 30 million or more, depending on which version actually passes. If one does, um, uh, it, it's got some elements in it that will uh, that will help um, contain costs keep costs down, um, stimulate improvements in quality, and so forth. Um, but it doesn't attack head-on the, um, you know, all the problems that underlie the, uh, the system. You know, that whole question of access and the fact that under the current bill that the, a large new portion of people would go under insurance policy would have to be insured, you'd think that would make the health insurance companies happy. But just earlier this week, the week of March 8, 2010, Health and Human Services Secretary Catherine Sebelius uh, went to the American Health Insurance Plan Conference and told them that their businesses were basically unsustainable. The CEO of the American Health Insurance Plan then turned around and said, well, actually, the problem's with the Obama plan, because even though you're mandating all these new people to come under the service, there's no stick behind the carrot. There's no, although you're saying they have to do it, there's no reason why they have to do it or no penalties that's going to, that's going to make them do it. Therefore, we aren't really going to see a bump in the number of people that are getting insurance. Who's right? I, I think uh, the secretary is right. Um, there is there there is a stick. Um, uh, there's a, a mandate that everybody uh, or almost everybody buy health insurance. 
um, and they set up, uh, they're going to set up these exchanges, um, you know, in effect creating an actual marketplace in which uh, insurance companies will compete to, uh, to offer coverage to uh, the public, who, to people who don't have access to coverage through their employment. And so the rules about how this, uh, these um, uh, exchanges so-called uh, operate, which will limit the ability of insurers to, to uh, continue to engage in the kinds of practices that, uh, that everybody is so uh, up in arms about, like uh, denying coverage to people who have pre-existing conditions or refusing to pay bills people when they get sick, or refusing to renew a policy uh, for people who have, who have become sick. Um, these things will be uh, prohibited uh, under the new uh, legislation. So if those are the, those are the uh, if she's complaining that those regulations will be in, in effect, um, I would, I'd want to know how she would defend them, how she defends uh, denying coverage to people who uh, uh, who get sick, but um, there are the 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 issue that she raises about um, uh, that the the mandate is weak, the mandate to purchase insurance is weak, depends on the assumption that uh, that people are going to do some kind of a calculation and decide that uh, the insurance, let's uh, let's say, costs X dollars is more expensive than the tax, the penalty that they would have to pay if they didn't buy that insurance. Because there is a stick, there is a penalty. Um, the question is, uh, the question she's raising um, is whether it's enough. It's hard for me to imagine that people are going to do a calculation and say, because the insurance costs X dollars and the penalty is X minus Y dollars, is therefore less, I'm going to pay the penalty instead of buying the insurance. So when the dust settles, and assuming some sort of reform is passed, what do you think will be the unaddressed issue issues that your book could provide guidance on in the future? Well, there will still be some people who don't have coverage. Uh, so that's one, one thing. Uh, depending on which bill passes, uh, the number will be a lot smaller than it is uh, now. Probably more important than that is the fact that the bill doesn't attack uh, address head-on the the uh, issue of um, of expenditure rates. Expenditures are going to continue to go up at rates that are um, higher than uh, you know than we would like. Um, and uh, even though there are provisions in the bills to um, uh, you know to take steps that will eventually pay off in uh, in lower costs or more more productivity and so forth fundamentally the incentives on provide on providers of care um, don't change the incentives on the insured people will change and so to the extent that their behavior um, you know this this story that I told before about people who don't have coverage and wind up in the emergency rooms and in hospital beds using a lot of money um, for care the incentives that lead people to do that, which is dysfunctional, certainly to their health, um, are, will change because those people will have coverage. 
and they'll be able to use services in a much more planned and rational way. But the incentives on the providers of care, which essentially value volume of services provided rather than the value um, of those services, um, that doesn't change. And so to the extent that that fuels the uh, the expenditure rise, um, uh, that will continue. The other thing uh, is that although there's steps to um, address the quality deficits that we face, the, they also are not attacked uh, head on. And the best way to do that probably is to have um, is to change the incentives on the providers of services. And because the payment method, which will be uh, still fee for service, uh, which revo- rewards volume, not value, you know, we'll still be doing um, less than we could to uh, improve the quality. On the other hand, because the, the, the system will have a more stable financial, um, will have more stable financial underpinning, um, and providers will be able to, to predict uh, more reliably what the future holds for them, it may stimulate uh, more investment in, in quality-enhancing devices or uh, techniques. Stephen Davidson, the author of Still Broken, Understanding the U.S. Healthcare System. Thanks for being on the Stanford Press podcast today. Thank you. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at www.sup.org. You can also become a fan of Stanford University Press on Facebook. Just look for our fan page there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stanford Press podcast. Copyright 2010, Stanford University Press. All rights reserved.